You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to spend our time today. If you don't know where that is, uh, the Bible's broken into two different sections. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew is in the New Testament side of the Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament. Um, It's written by a man by the name of Matthew. Uh, Basically, Matthew gives us a biography of Jesus's life, and we as a church family are working through that. So Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to spend our time today. But before I jump into Matthew chapter 10, really quickly, I want to share some exciting news with with you today. The mission of our church is to lead generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere. And we believe that this is what God has called our church to do, to lead generations. And we use the term generations. You've seen that today, right? We believe in multi-generational faithfulness. So we're not a church just for the young or just a church for the old. We're a church for everyone, multi-generational. But we end with everywhere. And everywhere just isn't about Antioch, right? And Gladstone and Missouri. Antioch is about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, taking the gospel to cities even in our own country that don't have uh, churches there and gospel witnesses there. And so I'm excited to let you know that next Sunday, Pastor Marcus, who we've sent out of our church to Indian Hills, Colorado, will have their first official service next Sunday in Indian Hills, Colorado. Can we praise the Lord for that? Isn't that exciting? It will be an exciting Sunday where we as Antioch will be faithful to our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere by sending out even our own to plant a church. And I know they're super excited about it and we are for them. So I wanna be accountable next Sunday. Ruth and I will not be here. We get the opportunity to go up there and to be with them and to celebrate their first Sunday together. So Pastor Bob will finish uh, Matthew chapter 10 for us next Sunday. Um, But it's gonna be a great Sunday to gather with them. And as I'm there, I'm there representing you, Antioch. and saying thank you to them for stepping out of faith. And I believe that because you've been faithful to pray for the Lord to send labors into the harvest, you've been faithful to give, that we can even send our own. This is a special day that we get to be a part of what God is doing, not just in this area, but around the world. So I wanted to give you that heads up. And then a couple, one other thing that I wanted to let you know about. So as you know, we're working through the gospel of Matthew. We'll finish up Matthew chapter 10. 
this next Sunday. And then after that, it's Easter. And then after Easter, we're going to do a sermon series. And last year, if you'll remember, we did a sermon series called Mental Health in the Gospel. And so we spent about five Sundays looking at mental health in the gospel. So after Easter this year, we're going to do a sermon series called Sexuality and the Gospel. And we know that word sort of is running around in our culture and we see what the culture is saying about it. And so we want to go to the word of God and say, what does the word of God say about sexuality? And we will talk through those things as a church. So there's twofold purpose in that. One, because we want to see what the Bible has to say and we want our lives to be aligned with the word of God. But then the second is, as we were looking as, as a church, as a pastoral team over our statement of faith, and we sent it off to a group of guys that are a group of people that are lawyers that look at our statement of faith just to make sure if we ever had to go to court that it would line up with the word of God and the things, the way that we say that. Well, they've given us some revisions to our marriage and sexuality part of our statement of faith. And so I'm going to talk through that as well as we'll present that to the church later in the year as a vote to vote to update the articles of faith in that way and change some of the wording in that. So I'd like for you to be a part of this as we work through this sexuality in the gospel. What does the Bible have to say and make sure that we're aligned with what the Bible says when it comes to those things. So I'm really excited about that. Then in the summer, we'll jump into the Psalms, right? So if you haven't been a part of Antioch, we go through 10 Psalms every Sunday. So this uh, summer, we'll go through Psalms 21 all the way to Psalms 30. Um, and we're working through that to take us 15 years, but we're going to get there 10 Psalms this summer. And then we'll come back to Matthew in August, all right? So we'll take a few months off here, but I just wanted to be accountable with you. All this is planning and, and seeking the Lord's will for our church. And we believe these are good steps for us in that direction um, to honor the Lord through the word. And uh, so I'm looking forward to our season ahead of being in the word together, looking at sexuality in the gospel, looking at the book of Psalms, and then we'll come back to Matthew. So enjoy the next two Sundays as we spend our last couple of Sundays in, Psalm, in Matthew before we get to uh, it next uh, in the fall. So let's pray and then we'll jump into Matthew chapter 10. And as Pastor Todd says, we'll go for 15 minutes. Father, we're grateful for your love for us and your faithfulness to us. I'm so thankful for this church family that is obedient to not just gather, but to send out. And I'm thankful that they were willing to send one of their own out. And so thank you, Lord, for Pastor Marcus and Kayla and their obedience to you to follow your leading to plant a church in Indian Hills, Colorado, where there was no church. And I just, as I thought about it and prayed for them and thought about this morning, I just, it's a humbling thought to think in Easter when we gather here that there'll be a church gathering in Indian Hills where last Easter there was no church. That's pretty, pretty powerful thought. So thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part of spreading the fame of your name to the ends of the earth. We thank you, Lord, that the Bible speaks clearly on topics that are uh, maybe hot topics in our culture. We thank you that we can go to your word and know that your word has an answer, that your word is even as I read this week, the word of God is a plumb line for us when it comes to these things. 
And so I pray as we look at these things together that we would look at it with a humble heart and a holy heart to follow you and want to honor you by how we live our lives. As we tackle the summer in the Psalms and we go through the next 10 Psalms together, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you. And Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for each family that's been dedicated to you. What a special morning it has been. And we could really end it now and honor, have honored you because we have pointed to you through the word, through these families saying, we want to honor you with our lives. And we just thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness. And I pray over each one of those families that you would strengthen their hearts, encourage them in you. I know parenting is hard and difficult, so give them perseverance. As we look at Matthew chapter 10 today, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive the word. And then as we receive it, that we would respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 10. Let me set it up for you really quickly here. Matthew is really outlined by five key teaching sections. So if you're reading through the book of Matthew, it's 28 chapters long, but it's broken up really into five teaching sections. You can see these on the screen behind me. At the end of each one of these teaching sections, it will say, when Jesus finished, when Jesus had finished. And it sort of gives us Matthew's clues that he's outlining the book by these different teaching sections. So we've been working through and we worked through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and we saw his words that they had authority. And then the last few months, we've been working through Matthew chapter eight and nine and we've seen that not only does Jesus' words have authority, but his works have authority as well. Well, now in Matthew chapter 10, we're coming to the second teaching section that outlines this book where Jesus addresses his disciples. This is known as the commissioning of the disciples. Jesus is expanding his authority through sending out his disciples to do the teaching and the work of ministry. The language that Matthew uses here is compared to a military commander calling soldiers together to give them orders to go out. To commission someone is to charge someone with a specific function or task. Up to this point, Jesus has done all the speaking. Jesus has done all the work. Now he is going to commission his disciples to go and speak and do the work for him. The section we're going to look at today is verses 1 through 25 of Matthew chapter 10. And it will be outlined in this way. Verses 1 through 4, you find the people. Who is God commissioning? Who is he sending out to do the words and the works of Jesus? Then in verses 5 through 15, you see the plan. What's the plan for his disciples as they go out and do the word and the works? And then verses 16 through 25, we're going to see persecution. So people plan persecution. Today, I would normally have you stand and we would read through all 25 verses, but due to time, we'll just move through these together without standing and reading. So look with me at verses one through four. It says, and, and Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority. Remember, we've been seeing the authority of Jesus through his words and his works. Now Jesus is giving this authority to his 
disciples. He's given them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and affliction. The names of the 12 apostles, this word apostles means sent out. This is the first time and only time Matthew will use the term apostles in his his biography here of Jesus. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the Iscariot, who betrayed them. Jesus is putting these men's name out there because it is important for us to know who they are. In fact, Matthew lists their names, Mark lists their names, and Luke actually lists their names twice. In his gospel, the gospel of Luke, he lists all these guys' names. And in the book of Acts, as he writes the second part of Luke, he lists their names as well. Why would it be so important for us to know the names of these disciples? Well, it's important for us to know because Jesus is replacing the old leadership, the ungodly leaders who were leading the children of Israel, the Jewish people, and saying, I am replacing them with these guys. The number 12 corresponds to the 12 tribes of Israel. And on these 12 men, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, he is going to build the church. It says in Ephesians 3.20 that they are the foundation of the church, the foundation of the apostles. And so it's important that we see and know these men. Just an interesting fact in all of the lists that are made, the four lists out there, Peter is always the first one mentioned and Judas the Iscariot is always the last one mentioned. So you can go to four that some of the change may change in there based off the author and why he's writing it. But Peter is always first and Judas the Iscariot is always last. So who are the guys that Jesus is going to choose to expand his authority through? If you and I are putting together a team to advance a crucial mission as the Great Commission, we would be looking for the best of the best. We would be looking for Team Seal 6 kind of guys, right, to put in and to lead the mission that you are sending them out to. But who does Jesus choose? I don't have time to go through every name here, but let me give you a couple of these guys. The first guy, Simon Peter. It's interesting, Simon is his name and Jesus gives him the name Peter. And guess what the name Simon means? It means one who listens, right? There should be a sense of laughter, right? Because if you know Peter, he's always the first to talk, right? Peter is always the one that runs his mouth and gets himself in trouble. In fact, he runs his mouth so much that in Matthew 16, he looks at Peter, Jesus does, and says, get behind me, Satan, right? Like, you know, you run your mouth too much when Jesus is like, shush, shush, right? No more. You can't, you can't talk anymore. Peter's the guy when Jesus is being arrested that pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of the soldier, right? Because he's, he's ready. Peter is, is impulsive and just goes for it. And he, he acts and then thinks, right? He talks and then thinks. This is, this is Peter. If you even go down to the last, Judas the Iscariot. We know Judas is the guy that betrayed Jesus. Here he spent three years with Jesus. And then when it gets difficult and hard, he jumps ship. 
Simon the Zealot. A, a zealot was a religious political party who believed they could change culture by their involvement in the political realm. They were sworn assassins. They were commissioned to kill Roman soldiers when they had a chance. That's Simon the Zealot, right? It's just the amazing, the people that Jesus chooses to use that he brings together. Matthew, who's a tax collector who works for the Romans, and Simon, a guy who is totally opposed to Matthew. And yet God uses these kind of, of men, this ragtag group of fellas, to advance the commission of Jesus this is not your elite of elite. The thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus uses all types of people with all types of backgrounds, with all types of personalities. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. He says this, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling Brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What does Paul say? The list of the prerequisites of being used by God, foolish in the world, what is weak in the world, low and despised in the world, even things that are not, nobody and nothings. These are the people that God chooses to use to advance the fame of his name. So no one can ever say, God can't use me. Just look at the disciples. God can use you. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that if he knew my past, if you knew what I've been through, if you knew the things that I've been involved in, God couldn't use me. That's not true. God can use you. And these are the people that God chooses to expand his authority through. Then you see in verses five through 15, that Jesus sends out his 12 and here is the plan. And I want you to know that this is very specific to the 12 because we're gonna read some things in here that would seem later in the text that you would read in Matthew chapter 28 that would seem to contradict what Jesus is telling his disciples here. So we're really zoned in that Jesus is talking to his disciples here and he's speaking very specifically to him. Although we can get principles from it, Jesus is not talking to us in this scenario. Jesus is talking directly to his disciples. So look at verse five. He says, these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Immediately that should be like warning signs, right? Because Matthew 28, 19 says, go make disciples of what? All nations. And so this is why we would say this plan is very specific 
to Jesus' disciples. He has a very specific plan for them. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So who are they to go to? They're to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is saying, I want you right now for this mission that I'm sending you on to go to those Jewish brothers and sisters that you are around and take the gospel to them. I think of Paul's words in Romans 1:16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel went first to the Jews and Jesus is sending his disciples to do the work of ministry by going to the Jews. What are they to do? Look at verses uh, eight and nine or, or verse seven and eight. It says this and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This should take us back to what Jesus when he started his ministry in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. It says from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So again this is Jesus giving them authority and saying as you go out the message that I want you to proclaim is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he says in verse 8 heal the sick, raise the dead. We've seen all of this in verses eight in chapter eight and nine, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So what he is calling them to do is to go spread the word and do his works, the word and, and works. They're to preach the gospel and they're to do good works. We, as God's people are to spread the gospel with word and works. I don't hear this statement much anymore and I think that's a good thing because for a while this statement was circulating and it's such bad theology that we shouldn't quote it. But it says this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That, that's bad theology. Why? Because what Jesus just told them, when you go, preach the gospel. The point of preaching the gospel is heralding it. That's using words. But we also work the gospel as well. We show people what the gospel is through our works. So I love that Jesus says, don't just go and do these good works, but go and preach the gospel that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I don't want to take for granted today that everyone sitting in this room knows the gospel that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is Jesus saying by that idea? Well, we refer to that as the gospel today. The gospel is just a Bible word that means good news. And what is the good news? I would say the good news can be found in a lot of places in the Bible, but if I'm gonna be like Todd, one of my favorite places in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is wrapped up in that one verse, for God. God is the creator and the maker of everything. He is the standard, he, he is who we look to. And it says, for God so loved us. It, you could say God loved us in this manner. He, he didn't have to love us. We're, we, we're the ones that rebelled against him, but he loved us in that. What, what did he do? He sent Jesus. 
Why did he have to send Jesus? He had to send Jesus because our sin separated us from God. Our sin made it that there was no way, if we're on one side of the chasm and God is on the other side, there was no way that we could move from this side of the chasm to God's side. And so God so loved us that he saw us in our sin. And what did he do? He sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to us. And Jesus came to this earth and he lived the life that if we're all honest with each other because of our sin, we could never live. Because our desires are corrupted by sin. We're always going to go, even good things, we're going to make it about us. It's not just our badness, but even our righteousness can keep us from God because we think we can go from God's side to our side. We think we can work from that back to God. That's even sin in of itself. And so he sends Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live. And then he sends Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So because our sins separated us from God, the wrath of God was on us. And we were destined to the wrath of God. But Jesus, because he was the perfect sacrifice, hung on a cross for you and for I to absorb the wrath of God. So then three days later, he would come out of the grave, conquering death, conquering sin and conquering the devil. And what did he do, church? He made a way for us to be right with God. So he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then listen, here's your part, that whoever believes in him. To believe is not just to know it. To believe is to have it in your heart. To believe is to trust with all you are in Jesus Christ. And he says that whoever believes, whoever trusts in me, whoever says there's no way that I could ever be right with God apart from Jesus Christ. If if I believe that, then the Bible says we will have eternal life. And here's the beauty. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life really starts now. Because John 11, 25 says for those that are in Christ never die. And I would invite you today if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to put your faith and trust in him today Jesus came for you Jesus has you you don't got to earn your way to him there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself believe in Jesus trust in Jesus this is the good news And those of us that know it, the kingdom of God has come to live inside of us through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus rules and reigns in our hearts today. And I would invite you to that. This is the gospel that we preach. He goes on in verses 9 through 15. And he shares with them how they are to take the gospel. Look at verse 9. He says, 
You received without pain, give without pain. So they're to share the gospel freely. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or tunics uh, of, or sandals or a staff for the labor deserves his food. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't charge to share the gospel, right? We know later he's going to say, it's okay for you to receive compensation if you do the work of ministry. He's gonna talk about that in the gospel of Luke and 1 Corinthians, it talks about that. But in this instance, Jesus is saying, don't, don't basically don't take anything with you. Nothing, no money on your belt, right? No backpack for you to have sort of stuff stored in. I want you to simply go trusting in me. Verse 11, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there uh, or stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, you're gonna hear this word worthy. Worthy just simply means that they received them. They received the gospel. So when you hear that word worthy, it's not like they measured up. The idea is that they received it. So when the disciples were to go into these towns and they're talking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they're sharing the gospel, somebody receives them, they're worthy, right? That's the idea, they've received them. Let your peace be upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town or when you leave that house or town. 15, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The idea quickly of knocking the dust off their feet was the idea that they had shared the gospel, they had done their part and they had not received it. So they're turning them over to the Lord. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six or seven in verse six under the section of judging others. It says this, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Matthew chapter 10 is that verse lived out, right? That he is saying, if you share the gospel with them and they don't receive it, knock the dust off of your feet, turn them over to the Lord and the Lord will take care of them. So this is very specific to the disciples. But I think the idea is that you and I do the word and the work of ministry and we trust God for the provision and the path ahead. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25, then we see persecution. This is Jesus zooming back a little bit and I'll point out a couple of the words that will show us that. But Jesus says, as you go, these are the things that are gonna come for you. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Thank you, Jesus, right? Like as Jesus is sending out his disciples, he says, gives us three animals for us to consider about your going. First, sheep in the midst of wolves. Second, be wise as serpents. Third, be innocent as doves. When you think about a family crest, you don't typically think about sheep, snake, and a dove, right? Like you want strong animals like a lion, a tiger, an eagle, right? But nobody thinks, let's put on the family crest a a sheep, a snake, and a dove. But these are the things that Jesus says will characterize us. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This idea of of a sheep, is uh, someone who's peaceful, vulnerable, 
a, a sheep is one who is fully dependent on the shepherd to lead, to provide, to care for, and to protect. And so Jesus says, as you go as a sheep, I want you to know that I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will keep you. You trust in me, but you're going in the midst of wolves. We'll see who those wolves were in just a minute. But then he also says, be wise as serpents. The idea of being wise is to use our judgment. One commentator said, the snake's instinct for self-preservation by getting out of the way when trouble threatens. That's the idea here. If you've ever noticed, snakes aren't typically hanging out in the middle of the road, right? They're typically in corners or hiding out somewhere. They're they're being wise. This this is the idea of a serpent is that we're, we're wise, then he says we're to be like doves. A dove is harmless and blameless. I love the picture that Jesus is giving us here of a sheep, of a serpent, and a dove. I think we can see this lived out in Romans chapter 12 in verses 15 through 21. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it means to live as a sheep, as a serpent and a dove in this world. Then Jesus goes on and says, beware of men. These are the wolves. Beware of men for they will deliver you up to courts and flog you in the synagogue and you will be dragged before governors and kings for, for, for my sake. Remember that for my sake to bear witness before me, before them, And then here's a clue that this is Jesus expanding the message and the Gentiles. Remember he told him earlier, don't go to the Gentiles. Now he's saying you're going to stand in courts because of the Gentiles. That's Jesus zooming back here and saying it's not just for the disciples. When they delivered you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For you are to say, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Here's another clue, verse 20. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. The Holy Spirit will come after Jesus gives it to them and ascends back to heaven. So this is pointing to a future time. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all. And listen to Jesus' last phrase, for my name's sake. Welcome to following Jesus. It's not that sexy, is it? It's not that appealing when you read this. 
that you will be hated by all. Why? For my name's sake. I think it's important, church, that we remember it's not our namesake. It's Jesus' namesake. It's not us picking fights. It's Jesus' namesake, right? He's the reason that we're persecuted, not because we're running our mouth, not because we're commenting under every social media thing that we see, not because we're watching YouTube and YouTube reels and getting all fired up about all these people that are so, such idiots. And we want to tell the world about that. Why? We are persecuted for his name's sake. It's always about his name. In Psalms 115.1, it says, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We must make sure that when we're experiencing persecution, that it's because of his name, not because we're trying to make a name for ourselves. Verse 22 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, persevere. Verse 23, when they persecuted you in one town, I love this, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. Again, pointing us to a future time. If they don't receive it, move on, right? Matthew chapter seven and verse six, keep sharing the gospel. If they reject it, you move to the next. You keep sharing the gospel, but you don't have to stay there. If they're persecuting you, flee to the next town. Then verse 24 and 25, who is our example? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Who is Jesus talking about? Himself. He is saying, they're going to call me Satan. And we just saw that in Matthew chapter 9. That they said, how is he doing all these works? Because he's doing it through Satan. He's like, if they called me Satan, they're going to call you Satan. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 19. We'll start there. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good, and suffer for you, suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Who is our example? Christ is our example. So here's my question for you today. Do you really want to follow Jesus now? I mean, think about what he's just called his disciples to do. Do you really want to follow him now? The more serious we take our faith, the more challenges will come in our lives. The more serious we take obedience to Christ's commands, the more pressure the enemy will put on us. 
The more serious we get about talking about Jesus with others, the more persecution is going to come. And my question to you is, do you really want to follow Jesus now? Do you really believe he's worth it? Have you counted the cost? Because it will cost us. He's promised us that. But in the cost, he is worth it. Let me end with this quote from a missionary who wrote a book called 10 Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. He says this, with the rise of the health and wealth gospel and the prosperity preaching, we have become accustomed to comfortable. What a friend we have in Jesus Messiah. It's a picture of Jesus, the Jesus I like to call Jesus light. Great taste, less demanding. Jesus is just interested in my happiness and nothing more. He wants me to be financially comfortable, physically fit, mentally and emotionally stable. He never demands of me anything that would cause these basic goals to be missed. Difficulties, trials, hardships in my life are only there because of the lack of faith on my part to believe that Jesus truly wants me to be happy. Later he writes, the teaching of Jesus was often harsh. He was not a preacher of convenience, but of hardships. Not a preacher of comfort, but of suffering. This light momentary affliction, Romans 8, 18, is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. So let's persevere. Let's follow Jesus no matter what comes. Father, thank you for your word. And I know today's not an easy text to hear, especially on family dedication Sunday. But it's what you've called us to. You've called us, the Bible says, to lay down our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to that. Help us not to buy the lie that is all about our comfort and our ease. But remind us, Lord, that as we follow you, persecution will come. Difficulties will come. But we know that whatever comes in our life, you have not lost control. But you're in perfect control. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.